Thank you for joining Crossroads Community Church today. We're so excited about what God's doing in the lives of the people of our church and the lives of those who are listening online. If you have any questions or want more information about our church, visit our website at www.crossroadsccl.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's jump into the Word with this week's message. All right, good morning, Merry Christmas. A few days ahead, isn't it? How many of you have got your Christmas shopping done? Is anybody there? I took the plunge on Monday and just did it. So first year, like I'm kind of a little bit ahead on that. So good morning. Well, how many of you are enjoying the Christmas season? Do you have some traditions, some festivities that you enjoy? When we come to Christmas, it's a time that's fun for a lot of us because there's staples that we look forward to practices, things we do that are, are pretty special. Here's some of the, the staples of Christmas. There's fruitcake, eggnog, any eggnog fans out there? I had major temptation this week because the youth had three cartons of eggnog from their previous uh, youth night, and it was sitting in the fridge, and I had to avoid the temptation. I love eggnog. There's Santa Claus with the parades and the stores, Christmas trees, mistletoe, ugly sweaters, Christmas movies. It's a wonderful life, the Christmas carol, and a favorite of many, Charlie Brown Christmas. Every year since 1965, the networks has shown that every Christmas season. You know the story. Charlie Brownie gets this Christmas tree, but it's pathetic. It just got a few little limbs and needles, and the whole gang is looking at this thing because he bought it for the the Christmas program, but it is totally pathetic. They're laughing at Charlie Brown, they're mocking Charlie Brown, and Charlie Brown's getting depressed, and then in his despair, he cries out, does anybody know what the true meaning of Christmas is all about? And then his friend Linus, with blanket in tow, comes out, and he gives us the true meaning of Christmas. And how about we have Linus this morning do our Bible reading for us? Can we do that? Because he tells the very story that we're going to look at this morning as we talk about authentic Christmas. So pay attention to the screens. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So is that what Christmas is all about? Right there, it's a great story. And we're going to talk about the shepherds as they experienced Jesus. They were the first to witness him, to tell others about him. But it's a story that has really lost its impact. 
When it was originally told, it was meant to be emotionally shocking. It was meant to be absurd or comedic at best. But we're so used to hearing it, telling it, singing about it, dramatizing it, seeing paintings of it. It fits nicely along nativity scenes as kind of a nice backdrop. But it really leads us, I believe, into one of the clearest pictures of what an authentic Christmas is all about. And that is because Jesus came into this world that he entered into this world as a human being and he died on the cross. The message of Christmas is very clear. There are no more outsiders. That everybody is somebody and that those who are low on the social status are brought up. And those who are on the outside of what's important looking in are brought right into the middle of God's plan. And that includes you and me. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 8 and we'll be heading down to verse 20 as we talk about the authentic meaning of Christmas is that there are no more outsiders. And as you're turning there, let us pray. Father, we thank you that through Jesus Christ there are no outsiders, that you bring everybody in who wants to be into the center of your plan and to the target of your purposes, and to the unfolding of your, of your purposes. And so, Father, as we go into your word, we pray you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Verse 8, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The New English transversion, translation says that they were absolutely terrified. In the Greek, it uses the word fear twice to emphasize that these guys were on this major scale of, of being horrified at what they saw because there was nothing in their mind, there was nothing in their experience, there was nothing within their expectations that had prepared them for what it is that was unfolding when they saw this angel of the Lord speak these momentous words to them. I was talking to a guy this week and he was not from our church, he was confessing to me that he struggles with this anxiety disorder. And this anxiety disorder is where you have this fear that just cripples and paralyzes you. Your mind is so obsessed and so focused on what you think could go wrong, of what you think is going to happen that's going to be bad or turn out negatively, that this anxiety grips you. And I said to him, I said, where does this start? How did this, how did this occur into your life? He's a Christian. He says, because my thinking is wrong. I'm turning to craziness rather than turning to Christ. And we live in a society today that's gripped by this fear. They're terrified. The anxiety is at a level that we've never seen, at least not within my lifetime. And right here, verse 10, the solution to the anxiety is given. Verse 10, it says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Don't go into all of this anxiety. I bring you good news. The gospel means good news. 
and it addresses every fear that we have. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. They didn't know what to think. Nothing in their background, nothing in their experience had prepared them for this. And what we need to understand, friends, is in terms of the people who were first to be given this announcement of Jesus' birth, to have it be told to them, to be the first people to go and witness his birth, and then to be the very first person to announce it and tell others would be completely shocking because shepherds were just above lepers on the social class, about even with tax collectors. It would be like Kate Middleton. You know, that princess, and I know gals, you probably know who she is, but guys, I think she's like this princess in Egypt. She has a baby, and this baby's going to be the king of England. And that's a big deal for those guys over there. And then the only people to find out about it are like the dock workers along the English Channel. Some rough and crude guys. They're the only ones to know about it, find out about it, witness it, and tell others about it. And that would look absurd and crazy. And by the fact that these shepherds are told this news that the king of the earth, the Messiah, the person who has been, been longing for and prophesied for 4,000 years is now told to these guys and to the original readers and those who experienced this, this would just be mind-blowing. And we have to ask the question, why did God do it this way? He did it because He is telling us that in his economy and his kingdom, there are no more outsiders. Let's talk a little bit about the shepherds because we can't really appreciate what this means unless we understood how they were viewed in that time, in that context. So let me give you four qualities if you're in a note-writing mood about the shepherds. The first one is this, is that shepherds were seen as odd. Shepherds were just seen as odd. Their profession was considered strange. Even though it had been commonly practiced, by that time it was just looked at as a very peculiar profession. I looked at a list just recently of some odd jobs. One's a, a job that's out there today somewhere is a professional cuddler. Another one's an undercover bridesmaid. You can hire a bridesmaid to stand up in your wedding. Well, that was considered like an odd job because to be a shepherd, you, you're always outside. You're weather-worn, you're weather but You didn't mingle with people. You were just hanging around sheep. You didn't have a really home. You didn't have a really stable town. You didn't have any stability along and where you lived. You just roamed the countryside from place to place to place. You didn't really know anybody. You really didn't have any roots. And so because of that, there was no home, no family, no roots. You just had sheep all day, all night, all year long. And people just couldn't really relate to this because they were kind of outside of the, the social fear. Number two, shepherds were seen as obnoxious. They're obnoxious. Nobody wanted to be around them, and 
Part of the reason is if you're outside all the time and you're roaming around from countryside to countryside, you don't have a lot of opportunity to shave your beard or clean your face or change your clothes. So you tended to be at times more dirty, more spelly. And if you're hanging around sheep, guess what? They're not the cleanest animals. They can be pretty filthy. They get out in the fields and their wool, I mean, if you try to take their wool off and sell it to the market, it's a major deal to get the clean. And if you hang around sheep for a lot, guess what? You start to smell like them. And so they were considered obnoxious, not only odd, but obnoxious. And so they would go into town and they would need to buy food or supplies. And so people would tolerate them, hold their nose, you know, buy your food, buy whatever, and then get out of here. And because of this, these men would become hardened. They would become cynical because people didn't want to be around them. Number three, shepherds were outsiders. They were distrusted. A farmer would go into his barn and he would find some of his tools not there. And he would maybe make this conclusion very quickly, maybe wrongly. But he says, shepherds must have been here tonight, last night, because my tools have been stolen. And so the shepherds were kind of considered the people who, who stole a lot. And the truth is, is that sometimes they did because as they're roaming from countryside to countryside, they're far away from supplies. They're hungry or they need things and they can't easily get them. And so for convenience sake, they would steal food. They would steal supplies because that's the only way they knew to survive. And because of this, it's important to understand that in the Jewish court of law, the testimony of a shepherd would not be considered or would not be listened to, would not be respected. They were outside of even testifying in a court. Number four, shepherds were outcast. They were outcast. Because of all of these things, they were outcasts from the religious establishments. Now, they couldn't come into the temple and worship. Now, what is the most important animal that you needed to sacrifice in the temple? It was a sheep, wasn't it? And they were the ones who raised the sheep. They were the ones who were able to sell the sheep. But even though they did that because they were so disrespected and considered so outcast and unclean and sinful, they could not come into the temple and worship by the time and by the days of Jesus, and they were excluded. And so this angel comes to them, makes this announcement, and then this announcement has double force because look in verse 13 what happens. It says, suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. Wow. All of a sudden, you get this announcement from an angel. That's freaking you out. Then you look up and it says, there's this great host of angels, and you look up, and I don't know what there would have been, hundreds and thousands, and they're singing in this great heavenly choir. And what blows me away is that these angels are singing the greatest song, making the greatest announcement of their entire career. And who are they doing it for? For a few shepherds and a bunch of sheep. 
That blows me away. And it'd be kind of like the, the, the Metropolitan or the, the, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir practicing a whole year for their greatest performance. And then when they finally pull it off and they perform it, it's for a couple of janitors working the night shift. And how do the angels feel at that time? I think they were jazzed. I think they're excited, not only because Jesus was born, but they are communicating the fundamental message of Christmas and the gospel is that there's no more outsiders and that those who are on the outside are brought in. Those who are on the lowest part of the social status are brought up in God's kingdom. It was cool last week we were able to commission four different outposts we said an outpost is serving partnerships within our communities that develop churches where everyday life happens. One of our outposts is in Richmond now. We've been working there. Some people have been working there. And for maybe a year, they've been prayer walking and praying for that community. And then starting in June, they, they begin just serving with the pop-up pantries, getting to know people, loving them and blessing them. We follow Luke 10, prayer, care, and share. So we've been praying in Richmond. We've been caring for them. And then we've been getting to know people and, and, and relating to them and investing in their lives and, 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 and connecting with them. Then a couple of our outpost leaders before Thanksgiving had the idea, what if we take some of these people that we've been getting to know in the harvest field who aren't all churched, don't all know Jesus, and let's put on a community Thanksgiving dinner. And they did that the Thursday before Thanksgiving, and I went to that, and I was just going to be there for 20 minutes, just show up, encourage them, and say, "This is." I was there for two hours. Because two of our leaders put a team of seven people together who did not know each other. And they put this phenomenal thing and about 70, 80 people in the community came. And there was love, there was prayer, there was a sharing of Jesus. There was just this spirit of joy. And I was there for two hours. It was just unbelievable. And so I said, we want to keep this going. We want to keep this going. And so I was working with our outpost leaders there and says, okay, how about you get some of your key persons of peace, some of that core team you've developed, and let's meet with them and say, okay, what do we do next? How do we take this love that Jesus is giving us and how do we continue to spread that into the community and begin to see the gospel more proclaimed and embraced in Richmond? And so this past Wednesday, me and the two outpost leaders met with some people from that they've connected with Persons of Peace in the Harvest Field. We were there Wednesday night, we're eating pizza, and there's this one guy. He's intense energy. He's talking, he's talking, he's talking, he's talking, and I'm patiently listening, we're eating pizza, we're talking, we're getting to, to know each other, <clears throat> and this is not exactly like a church meeting, Okay. These guys talking, talking, we're just, and this is a guy, this is a guy who before that Thanksgiving meal, they were working with him, he was making cookies, and he was skeptical of religion. He was hurt by churches. He was down on all of this stuff that Crossroads Community Church is about. 
But I saw him get up during that Thanksgiving meal, and he got up in the middle of it. He said, hey, I want everybody to have attention. He says, I want to thank the people of Crossroads Community Church for putting this on. They're good people. We didn't put it on. We just helped them to put it on. And we're there, and we finally say, okay, what do we do? Where do we go with this? And this guy, who I don't think quite yet knows Jesus, he began to share, he began to speak. He says, I think we ought to do something for Valentine's Day where we simply don't talk about couples loving each other, but we talk about love being spread in the community, and we make it about the love of God. And I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, here's a guy who a month before was a skeptic toward religion. Here was a guy who didn't want to have anything to do with churches, and he's now talking about the love of God and spreading the love of God. And he gives out this plan for Valentine's Day, and I'm listening to him saying, God, you are giving him the plan. I had worked, I'd worked with our outpost leaders thinking of what we could do, what ideas, and we just kind of threw those into the wastebasket. Because this guy who's an outsider to religion, this guy who's an outsider to all of the stuff that religion says is important, is now being used by God as a spokesperson for where we're going to go and what we're going to do. And in the midst of this, I look at him and I said, okay, that's awesome, but how do we connect with God? And we talk about that. How do you connect with God? How will we take those people who are there and how do we connect them with God? He says, well, let's talk about that. I said, can I share you a story? And I shared him the story of the sinful woman, the prostitute who anointed Jesus' feet. And the outcasts are brought right in as the religious leaders were judging her and judging Jesus for loving her. And Jesus told her, your sins are forgiven. He who has forgiven much loves much. And I read that story to everybody who was there. And that guy looked at me and says, man, that is the coolest story. That is the coolest story. He says, that's the story we need to center this all around. I say, you're right. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, a guy who is skeptical about religion a month before is now a major voice piece leading us on how we do mission into the community of Richmond. And I look at this and I look at the shepherds and it says to me, this is a modern day picture. This is a modern day version where the gospel says there are no more outsiders. Those who are low are brought up those who are outside are brought in. Max Lucado talks about this story and he asks a question, why did God use these shepherds? What did God have in mind? Max Lucado interestingly writes this. He said, had the angel gone to theologians, they would have consulted their commentaries. Had he gone to the elite? They would have looked around to see if anyone was watching. Had he gone to the successful, they would have first looked at their calendars. So he went to the shepherds. Men who didn't have a reputation to protect or an axe to grind or a ladder to climb. Men who didn't know enough to tell God that angels don't sing to sheep and that messiahs aren't found wrapped in rags and sleeping in a feed trough. Well stated. 
Well, let's tie a bow on this. How do we take what we're learning today and apply it from, from Monday to Saturday? Let me give you a couple of encouragements. Number one is this. Understand that every fear is met by the Savior. Understand that every fear is met by the Savior. So here are these guys, they're shaking in their boots. They're terrified, their thinking is wrong, but they respond to this message. And in verse 15, we pick up, it says this, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Verse 16, so what did they do? It says, so they hurried off And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. In your fears, in your anxiety, it can either drive you to craziness, and that craziness can lead you to do weird things. It can lead you to drown the dreams that God has placed in your heart because you're afraid of them. It can lead you not to pursue a relationship that is going to be beneficial for you and the kingdom. It can lead you to experience sleepless nights because you are so consumed with the problems of your life. It can cause your blood pressure to spike and lead to all kinds of health problems. Your fear can lead you to craziness or it can lead you to Christ. You know, look at the shepherds, and when they hear the gospel, when they hear the news of Jesus being born, they go right, they run right to Jesus. And in the midst of our fears, we need to discipline ourselves, guess what? Not to go to craziness, but to go to Christ and to bring our fears to Him. But some of us are like, I'm afraid to go to Jesus. I'm afraid to go to him because maybe he won't accept me. Maybe he'll judge me. Maybe he'll try to fix me up to be a lot better than I am. And I don't know if I can succeed. I think I may fail. But you know what? When you go to Jesus, you need to be just like the shepherds in this story. How do they go to Jesus? Just as they were. They didn't say, you know what? We're going to present ourselves to Jesus. We need to get cleaned up. We need a new set of clothes. We need to wipe off the smells. We need to get the grime of the sheep off of our bodies. We need to clean up. We need to get our stuff together. What did they do? They ran to the manger just as they were. Outcast, unclean, rejected men. And you know, we live in a society today, especially in America, where there are billions and billions and billions of dollars that are spent, that are designed to make us look much better than we are. That are designed to put out the best version, the best product, the best image that we can be to others so that we present ourselves to look better, to feel better, to have this image that is more than what is actually true. $62 billion a year is spent on cosmetics. $12 billion a year is spent on elective plastic surgery so we can present the most beautiful and perfect version 
of ourselves. We do that with our selfies, don't we? The other night, Brenda and I, we went to our favorite restaurant. You know me, you know who that is, we're on Military Street. We, we went there, and, and it was beautiful, all the lights there in Port Huron, Military Street, so cool. I, I said, well, let's, let's get a picture. Let's get a picture. And so, so what do you do? I pull out my phone, and it's cold. And so I got to, okay, wait, 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 let me get it into selfie mode. Oh, it's right there, okay. And then we're taking this picture of ourselves, and I, okay, we got this angle. Okay, okay, Brenda, let's try over here. This angle. Oh, wait, oh, look at the lights over here. And, and, and Brenda's like, Anthony, it's freezing. Get in the car, okay. And why am I doing, why can't it just be a simple, oh, one picture, that's good. Like it or lump it, you know, type of thing. Because we want the best image, the best angle, the best portrayal of ourselves. And you know what? Maybe that's the way of the world, isn't it? But it's not the way of Jesus. Because when you come to Jesus, you don't come with your best image. You don't come with this best focus or this best angle. You come as you are. Warts, blemishes, sin, brokenness in all of it. Because that is only the repentance and the change that God will accept When Jesus went to the cross and he died for us, he did not die for the best angles or the best images or the best spins of our lives, but he died for our brokenness. And so when we come to him, we come to him with rags and all, just like these shepherds who do before the king of the universe. We come just as we are because that is all that he will accept. There are no more outcasts. Number two, understand that everybody is somebody. Understand that everybody is somebody. Verse 17, it says, when they had seen him, Jesus, they spread the word. They become the spokesperson. These guys become the evangelist. Just like this guy that I met in Richmond concerning what he had told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all this up, all these things, and pondered them in her heart. In verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They were at the bottom, they're brought to the top. Their voice, their voices, they're evangelists. They have a joy that they can't contain. These are guys, just imagine their lives. Night after night, there were sheep in the lonely, cold, barren countryside. And they look over in villages, and they see the homes, and they see the lights in them, the candles burning. And they can hear the voices of families talking. They hear occasional laughter. And there they are, isolated, outside. They're on the outside looking in. They're excluded. And maybe in their hearts, they longed to be included. And right here on the original Christmas, they're brought in. And the question is this, is 
Who can come to Jesus? Who has the invitation to come to the Savior? And Christmas tells us through the story of the shepherds, it's everybody. God knows them. God knows the outsiders. And that everybody is somebody. And I think about Jesus and what he did. He came into the world through a virgin. And he came in a way where the world said there's no entrance. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross and he went to the tomb. And he exited this world where the world said there's no exit. He escaped the grip of death. And he pushed pushed over this rock that covered his tomb. And folks, God does not play by our rules. He has set a different economy at a different standard. And for you and I this Christmas, no matter where we're at, no matter what's going on, no matter how we've been excluded, no matter what gifts we weren't given, no matter what party we weren't invited to, no matter what others have done for us and how we are lonely, that's often felt. This message of Christmas says, there can be great joy. Jesus can be born in Bethlehem a thousand times, but it doesn't mean anything until he's born in you, until he has entrance into your life, until he comes into you, and you say, Jesus, I've been rejected. I'm sinful. I don't have it together, but come into my life. Lead me, forgive me, lead me as Savior. I want to invite our worship team to come forward, our prayer team as well, and our prayer team will be over to the left of our sanctuary. And if you have any prayer concerns or anything that you need this morning, they're going to be there to pray for you. But as our worship teams come forward, I want to tell just a final story. There was a woman, she was in a shopping mall, it's crowded, she was doing her last minute Christmas shopping. Tired of fighting all the crowds, tired of standing in the lines. She's tired of finding her way down the fighting her way down the long aisles. She was tired of looking for gifts that had been sold out the day before. But she got it all. Her arms were were full of these bulky packages. She is frustrated and she goes to the elevator. She presses the elevator button and opens up and there's a crowd of people. They move aside, and she just barely squeezes in. She's frustrated. She's at the end of her rope, and she's losing her patience. And all of a sudden, she blurts this out. She says, whoever is responsible for this whole Christmas thing ought to be arrested, strung up, and shot. A few others nodded their heads in agreement. Then from somewhere in the back of the elevator came a single voice, that said, don't worry. They already crucified him. And when we come to this Christmas time, Jesus gives the invitation to all of us, outsiders to be brought in, those who are low to be brought up. And the gospel is this, that if you believe in Jesus, admit you're a sinner, admit, just come to him as you are, not as you think you should be, not something that you're not, but just come to him honestly. Believe that Jesus is who he is, that he died for your sins, he's the way to God, and you commit your life to following him. 
then he'll accept you as, as your child.